next guest with us. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Tom Simpson, CEO of Ignite Northwest. Thanks, Doyle. It's uh, great to be here. Um, I really have admired all the things that you have done over the years and uh, worked uh, to help build our uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Spokane. And I particularly love the pictures that you take of our beautiful city. And uh, I often use them when I repost things about Spokane. So <laughs> great to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Well, let's just jump right into this because I think there's going to be a lot to unpack with the one and only Tom Simpson. <laughs> So uh, maybe just to square things up here, so our history goes back maybe 12, 14 years. Or longer, who knows, Could and be. why count? Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, but Startup Weekend was a was a new thing on, on scene, um, what, 2011, somewhere in Somewhere there? about there. Yeah. yeah. And I was just starting my business, and Brett Noyes was, yep. Yep. He was just riding my tail, like, you got to come in here and run Twitter for us. And so that's where I got my start. Okay. That's where I um, started realizing that social media could actually network with people. Uh-huh. It was pretty cool. And then every age group was coming in to do pitches. And yep. then it opened up the whole entrepreneurial spirit to me. Yep. So it was super cool. Anyway, that's how I met Tom Simpson. Tom Simpson has literally been involved in every single startup, anything in Spokane that I can know of or remember. <laughs> Not all of them. I miss a few, but... Uh... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, um, I love startups. I love entrepreneurships and obviously I'm very fond of Spokane and the region too. So it's a passion of mine. Awesome. Well, we love passionate people in our city. It makes it hard to leave that way. It does. Yeah. We don't want them to leave <laughs> or if they do, they have to come back. Tell us a little bit about you. I, I, I've, um, always heard your story and I love it. And I think it's only fair that we start there. Okay. I'll tell my story. And, and frankly, um, uh, I really, find my inspiration for a lot of what I do comes from the stories of other people, from other successful entrepreneurs and how they've, you know, what, uh, what was in their background that prompted them to get to what they, where they are and what they've done. And in my story, uh, and people often ask me, you know, hey, how did you get involved in all this stuff? And, and frankly, none of it was planned. It was all serendipitous. It was spontaneous, um, you know, but here, here's my story and uh, I'll try to keep it short. So cut me off if I, if I go too far, but um, Deal. Um, I grew up in Spokane. Uh, I was the youngest of four boys um, by a big margin. My next oldest brother was like six years older than me. And I think kind of being that birth order kind of um, made me always try harder because I was the youngest kid in the family. So I, um, you know, always had to try harder to make things happen and have a positive attitude. But uh, my dad was a conservative lawyer here in Spokane. I went to Lewis and Clark High School. Then I went off to the University of Washington. I frankly didn't really know any other colleges existed because my parents, my brothers, and my grandparents had all gone to the UW. So I went to the UW, and, and frankly, I didn't really know what I was going to do there. And uh, I think between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I'm walking back from campus, and one of my um, older fraternity brothers kind of you know, elbowed me and said, hey, Tom, today's a great day. He goes, I just got a job offer with one of the big eight accounting firms, and they're going to pay me $17,000 a year. And this is like 1978 or 9, and I thought, wow, you can leave college and make $17,000 a year, and what does an accountant do? And he kind of described it to me, and right then and there, I decided to go into accounting. 
And so, uh, and I was kind of a serious student, maybe not the highest grade point, but I tried hard. Um, and so I just got on a mission to get my accounting degree, graduated a quarter early, uh, took the CPA exam, passed it right away. And at age 21, I was a CPA, I was married, lived in Spokane, had a dog, and had a station wagon. <laughs> And working for a CPA firm here in Spokane, back then Deloitte Haskins and Sells, which was a great experience. But um, after a couple of years, uh, and particularly there was one moment, uh, my wife and I uh, took the station wagon and went out to Sears one day to pick out a washer and dryer, refrigerator, or something like that. And uh, right when we were pulling into the parking lot, um, a couple of buddies of mine from high school pulled up right next to me, bright red Camaro, T-tops down, music blaring, cooler in the back seat. Now, why they were going to Sears, I don't really know. And this story actually has relevance. So I, I saw them pull up. I look at me, look at the station wagon, look at them, and I go, you know what? I might be taking things a little too seriously. And so I thought, what can I do to kind of um, spice up, uh, be a little bit more adventurous without messing up my resume? Business school came to my mind. And everyone said, hey, you know, if you can go to business school, apply to the best one, apply to Harvard. So I spent like three months writing this Harvard application, rewriting it, proofreading it, erasing it, changing it. And that's before word processors. So when you <laughs> type something out and made a mistake, you had to go over and white it out. And I sent it off when it was just perfect. About two weeks later, I get back this really thin little letter that basically said loser on the front. And I was disappointed. And people said, hey, that, that's OK. It often takes a couple times to get in. But then someone said another top business school is Wharton in Philadelphia. So I thought, okay, I'll give that a shot. This time, I just repurposed the application, fired it off, and a couple weeks later, actually got a thick letter back, which meant I was admitted. And uh, I, I, it occurred to me that somehow they must have needed some geographic diversification in the inter entering class, someone from Spokane. But anyway, uh, sold the house, got rid of the dog, and moved to Philadelphia. Um, and business school was really, if I look back upon it, was um, really more of a, a grooming experience. I was a CPA. I knew a lot about business, but I'd never been further east than Missoula, Montana. And uh, here I am in Philadelphia with all these people that had gone to fancy prep schools, worked in investment banking, consultants and all that. And I just, I really just kind of um, um, learned more about the business world and how people communicated and interacted as opposed to any real firm school uh, skills. Anyway, I always wanted to come back to, uh, to, to uh, um, Spokane after business school, but I also wanted to go into investment banking. Obviously, there's not a lot of investment banking opportunities in Spokane. I had an opportunity in New York, uh, but I also had one in Seattle. So uh, after business school, uh, moved to Seattle, and I worked for a regional investment banking firm. And that's where I really kind of began to understand um, emerging companies and capital formation. And I was mentored by a, 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 a magnificent individual in Seattle by the name of Ike Eisenhart. And Ike kind of took me under my wing and, and, and taught me the art of investment banking. And this is now kind of the late 80s, early 90s, when Seattle was really becoming an entrepreneurial hub. And the markets were very effervescent. Uh, companies were uh, raising capital, both public and privately, and um, regularly. Um, so I learned the art of investment banking. I made a lot of great contacts. Uh, then, um, but I always wanted to come back to Spokane. Always wanted to come back. And one day I got a call from a leader in the community, Dave Clack. Dave said, hey, Tom, we have this little angel investment fund uh, called Momentum that we put together to kind of kickstart the local economy during the Momentum days. But the individual that was running it is leaving. Would you want to come back and take that over? 
I jumped at the opportunity. And so this is kind of like 1995, and I moved back to Spokane. And, and really, they said, what we want, really want you to do is form a new fund uh, to invest in regional companies. And I said, I will do it, but I also want to have the, have the opportunity to not only invest in Spokane, but also Seattle and Portland and leverage some of those contacts. They said, fine. Um, just to kind of uh, uh, fast forward a little bit, um, my goal was to raise a $5 million fund. I raised a $6 million fund. Um, had some good success. Two years later, raised a $33 million fund. And a couple years uh, after that, raised a $133 million fund. And uh, this is the late 90s. And uh, I lived in Spokane, had an office in Seattle, and was really one of the most active venture capital investors throughout the state of Washington. Um, really a great time. Um, I would say the first five years were wonderful. The next five years, a little bit more problematic. Because if you may recall, in 2000, we had a huge market crash. Um, digested through that, uh, kind of came to the conclusion that, um, you know, I enjoyed venture capital, but I saw a lot of flaws in the model, a lot of misalignment. Um, and I was really kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And that's when I taught a class at Gonzaga. And I ran into uh, one of my students, uh, Josh. Uh, he was in my class. And collectively, he and I came up with an idea for a new company. It was initially called Green Cupboards. Uh, and so I spent the next eight years working with Josh and building that company. We grew it from zero to about 120 million in revenues and then uh, sold it uh, six years ago. Uh, it was an e-commerce company. And then really ever since then, I've uh, been really disinvolved as an active angel investor here in Spokane through um, some uh, angel investment funds I put together by the name of Kickstart. Uh, a couple years ago, I took over Ignite, which we can talk about later. And uh, I also run the Spokane Angel Alliance. So that's kind of how I got from there to here. Well, that went really and, quick. And you stayed awake, didn't you? I didn't bore you. Oh, no. That was so cool. <laughs> so cool. It's like... Um, I love I love that it you started it like you tell your story but you preface it with it was serendipitous. Yep. And I don't know. It's it's kind of a floating term, maybe like background music to entrepreneurship that it's um ten percent effort, ninety percent luck. Yep. And you gotta go make your luck. It's like you did it. You have to make your luck. It's one of my favorite expressions is that um um uh, luck isn't really luck. Luck is the intersection of hard work and opportunity, and you can make your luck. And I kind of have a visual for that. I think of um, opportunity is put yourself in front of ball machines. Don't just sit at the couch on your couch all day long and watch TV. Go out and do things. Go places. Get involved in stuff. Put yourself in front of a ball machine. And when you get in front of the ball machine, don't just stand there. Work hard. Just keep swinging and swinging and swinging. And even if you're not good in athletics or you're not good um, with a tennis racket or a baseball bat, you're probably going to hit a couple home runs if you keep doing it. Yeah. So I love that. You make yeah. your own luck. I love it. Yeah. And I like that. I, I remember you telling me the ball machine um, uh, analogy a couple years ago, and it really resonated. Like what are the, the, the um, cliché term you, you miss 100% of the shots you never yep, take yeah but get in front of a batting machine yeah <laughs> those balls don't they don't stop right and you just naturally want to connect yep and so. you know you know the other expression is either, even a blind squirrel finds a nut or something like that yeah, I mean yeah. you just keep hitting you're, you're, you're you've got to hit something right 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 I mean um same thing goes for my business it goes for anything I've started yep um if you really want it to go it will and that even comes when you're next to failure 
Like yep. you're learning something and yep. you can pivot and move forward. Yep. If you want it to fail, just walk away. Just, but, mean, but you have to want it. You, you have, have to, to want, want it. it. Yeah. And I mean, some things just don't work out. It's just, that's just the nature of the beast. You got to know when to fold them. Got to know when to fold them. I know. And that's the hardest. I think that might be the actual key to business is yeah. knowing to fold. Maybe we'll get into that. Okay. I'd like to know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so, um, we, we learned about your business journey. Um, when did you know things were going to pivot from being an accountant where you became, it became who you've become today? Like, was there a, an aha moment? Like, was it um, while you were at Wharton? Or, like, can you I don't know if there, I mean, it? you know, it just shocks me that the son of a conservative attorney here in Spokane who went into accounting is kind of doing this entrepreneurial stuff. Um, I think... It never would have been planned. I, I think really the one exception I did have in my life in, is um, I had an uncle in Seattle. His name is Hunter Simpson. And he was kind of the Bill Gates of Seattle before Bill Gates. He, invent, his, he and his co-founder invented the defibrillator. And he had a company called Physio Control. And he grew it from a startup, took it public, sold it to Eli Lilly, and a very successful company. And he was a big, bold personality in Seattle a uh, very active philanthropist, very active in the business community. And I would say he's one person that kind of influenced me and opened up my eyes to the opportunities in, um, you know, entrepreneurship. That's cool. So that was probably my, my aha moment was looking at what I was doing as a CPA and then looking at what this colorful, enthusiastic, outgoing, entrepreneurial-minded, fire-breathing entrepreneur was doing. And I kind of thought, hmm, that looks a little more interesting. So did you know what an entrepreneur was when, the, when those thoughts were coming to you? Or did oh, you just kind of yeah. like... You know, the, I don't know if the word entrepreneur was that frequently used back then. Um, I or, mean, he, he was kind of a, you know, a little bit of a fish out of the water. I mean, you know, he, he, he had been a lifelong veteran of IBM. And he quit one day to go work for this startup. And people didn't really do that. And this is kind of in the 70s when he, when he did you. it. Um, um, so yeah, I I didn't you know there weren't words terms all that I just saw what he was doing and and, it, and, and, it. and it looked intriguing. Nice, cool, I love it. Explain ignite. I'm just I'm I know all about it. Yeah, let's consider the people that have never heard of a startup community in Spokane. Yep, share away. Well, ignite is something has been an organization that's been around for a number of years. Um, I really got involved I guess four years ago this summer. And uh, so I'll just kind of focus on um, what it is now since I've been involved. Please. Ignite, uh, our, our, our mission, our objective is to fund, accelerate, and mentor explosively growing companies in the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, and Sandpoint region. And the, the reason we do that is because we believe um, um, it's, it's, it's vitally important to have a robust entrepreneurial core in your community if the community aspires to grow and be vibrant. Um, so I, I was really careful there in what we do. Fund, mentor, accelerate. And we have um, a number of funding mechanisms. We have loan funds. We have kind of the dotted lines to my angel capital funds. We have dotted lines to the Spokane Angel Alliance. 
Um, in terms of Accelerate, we put on all sorts of different programs that, that uh, introduces entrepreneurs to investors, introduces entrepreneurs to other uh, successful entrepreneurs to hear their story, um, programs to introduce entrepreneurs to subject matter experts on legal issues or accounting issues or um, um, HR issues. Um, we also uh, put on a Startup Weekend, which we may now called Sparks Weekend, which we may talk about later. We also put on an annual event called the Ignite 25 Plus 5, <clears throat> which is intended to honor, celebrate, recognize the fastest growing companies in our community. Um, so that's what Ignite does. And we're, um, it's, um, it's, it's been a, a great way to tie together all the things that I do in, in Spokane. Love it. Yeah, and it does. I feel like it's a melting pot of Tom Simpson. <laughs> when I heard you were CEO, Oh, well, that just makes sense. Yeah, but it's a two-person organization. I'm not really quite sure titles really make that much of a difference. Maybe not, but it's a it's a priority. There's there's things that do come with that position, yeah. and one of them happens to be a title you have to accept. Yep, yep. <laughs> I've, I've never been a title guy. I know me either. <laughs> I know, it, and yet I have to paste it on my... Right. People need to know. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. So when did you get your entrepreneurial itch, and how did it motivate you? How does this tie into your story? And I... That, it, it, it was it was a um, it was a slow itch. I'm not quite sure if just all of a sudden I just had some big itch that bit me on my arm. It just creeped up when I was not aware. Um, but you know, frankly, it was really probably in, in in Seattle when I was working in investment banking, being mentored by Ike. Um, I really had the chance to meet some fascinating people. I mean, I got to know Howard Schultz before it was Starbucks. It was called Il Giornale. And wow. um, Howard, or Ike was a good friend with Howard, and I really kind of got to be a fly on the wall in early meetings with him and, and watching the company develop. Of course, my biggest mistake was when I was asked to, um, or given the opportunity, um, Howard had uh, um, uh, offered Ike the opportunity to invest in Starbucks, and Ike very um, um, thoughtfully offered to split it with me. And it was, you know, really only a couple of thousand dollars, but that was a lot of money to me at the time. And I, I, I called my dad, this conservative attorney, and said, hey, I had this chance to put a couple of thousand dollars in this company called Starbucks. And my dad said, who's, who's going to pay a dollar for something called a latte? And I go, oh, yeah, you're probably right. And I didn't invest. Um, clearly a mistake. But I got to meet people like, uh, um, like him. Um, you know, one of, I, I got to meet uh, David Giuliani, who was a founder of the, basically Sonic Care, which kind of led to my current investment. And I had a chance to invest in that company. Unfortunately, I didn't do it either. <laughs> I actually do make some investments that I, the, the ones that really hurt oftentimes are the ones that you, it turned out really well that you didn't do. Um, yeah. But uh, a side story I was going to tell is I'm an investor in a Spokane company called Slate Flosser, which is an electric flosser. So when I met, met Brent Snyder and her husband, Danny, when they came up with the product, I re kind of remembered how I said no to Sonicare and uh, was very um, eagerly invested in her company. So it was a slow itch, but really just got a chance to meet some fascinating people um, when uh, I was working in investment banking in Seattle. So it was their, it was like their vibe that was starting to, hey, this is cool. I like this, 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 this feeling or whatever. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And what I, what I really loved is um, that I think it's true of the, the, the true entrepreneurs, those that are just have um, the, the, just the passion um, and they're doing it because they love what they've come up with, not for the money. 
and you know, I think of kind of people like uh, like Howard Schultz and and Phil Knight at Nike. Um, the, some of this, many of these entrepreneurs, they just had this vision and this passion for it and this tenacity. And yeah, they raised money and went public and all that, but that was never their. That was never the objective. You know, when when they became quite wealthy, that was that was a side benefit. And and, and sometimes I, I I get frustrated when I see that model reverse now. When I when I see people who are really doing it because they think it's a get rich quick scheme, and and it's not. Um, it's it's got it's got a the core ingredient is a good idea and a passionate tenacious founder behind it. Love it. No, I agree with you. It's and that's a that's a hard thing to put the dream of money behind you. Like we're we're all built with the fascination. The relationship of money is deteriorated. Yeah, that's it's the hard thing to yep. to share and. I mean, we're probably both two different generations, and my generation looks at it different than others, and our younger generations don't even think of money as, yep. as value. It's like it's an exchange. But to, not to digress, but um, it's, it's like, I don't know, I guess I put money secondary and customer service first. Yep. Like, if you don't treat your, your purchase um, with respect no one's going to buy it. Yep. Right. Yep. And so it's like the value prop is all the, all the keywords in yep. business. If you just break it down, it comes down to legitimate. We're humans helping humans yep. and we have to fulfill a need or solve a problem. And then there's an exchange and that becomes money in your pocket. Yep. yep. So well said, very well said. I feel like if you take it to blue collar roots, um, customer service is it that's what you're selling is a service right and if if people don't put together a good service then who's going to ever come back right and the good word gets out yep. you know yep um and that's how you how you make do good work you make money yep but it should be secondary it's like i don't know how to it, it's hard to put it in words yeah that's well you, you you just did it very elegantly well well thank you <laughs> <laughs> glad i didn't have to think it up it just came naturally <laughs> Well, let's move forward a little bit. I know you have a lot to do with the Angel Alliance, and I don't. I know you don't like titles, so yep. I'm pretty sure you're the head of it at this point. Well, that's a one-person organization, so I'm not only the head of it, I'm also the bottom of it, too. Well, there's that. <laughs> so just put it in pers perspective. What What is the Angel Alliance? And then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Okay. Um, the Angel Alliance was uh, something that had been around for a number of years called the Delta Angel Group. And one day someone came to me and said, hey, Tom, kind of like they do with Ignite, um, do you want to uh, uh, take this over? And I said, no, I don't. And they twisted my arm and I said, yes. Again, the condition for me taking it over was I could model it after the um, Seattle Alliance of Angels, which um, at the time and still is kind of one of the most um, active and successful angel groups um, in the country. So I changed the name and uh, modeled it after what they do. Um, and so we, uh, it's a 100-person organization, roughly, membership organization. We meet six times a year uh, uh, at lunch. And I bring in two or three companies that are um, seeking to raise capital, and they present. Um, I've been doing this now for about 15 years. And the members of the Spoken Angel Alliance have put about $70 million into, ironically, about 70 companies during that time frame. And I would say uh, most, if not all, of the uh, most, uh, probably not all, but a high percentage of the more successful companies here in the Spokane area have uh, traveled through or presented to the Spokane Angel Alliance. And um, so it's been very successful. It's worked. Um, and um, 
just keep doing it. So I think there's some misconceptions. About, like I, I try and explain to people what the Angel Alliance is just uh-huh. because like it comes up when we talk about startups yep. or whatever. So who does that apply to? Like, is there, an, is there a limitation to pitch to the Angel Alliance? Is there, is there like a barrier of entry or something that people should know or f- find out before they even think it's an option? The, the, the only two re- real limitations are it's got to be company in our region, um, you know, Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Sandpoint, or, or close by. Um, that's one key parameter. The next key parameter is, you know, entrepreneurs come in two different buckets. There are lifestyle entrepreneurs, you know, a, a corner boutique. Um, and then there's explosively growing entrepreneurs, you know, companies like uh, in Spokane, Packet Engines, uh, Vega Cloud, uh, Treasury 4, Spiceology, some of those companies. And, and the companies that, um, and, and, and neither entrepreneur is better than the other. One just, you know, maybe for a more quality of life, you know, is, is a smaller, more local entrepreneur. Others are more regional, national, or worldwide, but no pros and cons in, on either one of them. But the companies that uh, really we cater to at the Spokane Angel Alliance are those that kind of have big, hairy, audacious goals. They are explosively growing companies. So those are two the the two real, um, I guess, limitations. Gotcha. Or criteria. Criteria. So so let's let's restaurant. Is that an option? You know, we've had some restaurants come through, but these would be restaurants that uh, intend to take their concept uh, nationally. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an investor in a, in a company in Seattle called Evergreens. Um, so yeah, we do look at restaurants. Gotcha. And then you said boutiques, so clothing company. Would that be like anthropology, or did you mean a boutique business? I was, like I was thinking, I was kind of like a, a, a boutique um, um, just a, a one-off store in downtown Spokane, you know, men's clothes, women's clothes, a flower shop, who knows, something like that. Got it. So something, got it, coffee it's, it's shop. Got, it's got to have something whose product or service ultimately is going to um, cater to or target uh, uh, customers nationwide. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So explosively growing is kind of the, the term. That, that's, that's where we need to go. Yeah. Let's say someone does have an idea for an explosive yep. company or they're on, they're trending. Yep. Like, let's say they started a boutique business yep. and now it's like, boom, boom, boom. Oh man, I got something popping here. I need yep. to expand. Is, is there some um, ways for them to prepare to come even uh, submit a request to meet with yep. you? Does that make sense? Do you see where I'm going? I do. You know, um, I, want to, I do want to step back one way. Uh, sure. for, for the Angel Alliance, um, there are a number of reasons why both my members attend and a number of reasons why a company may present. Now, one of them is raising capital and securing capital. But not every company that goes there secures capital. Um, and my members um, are a cross-section of uh, very active angel investors or institutions that cater to entrepreneurs, law firms, accounting firms, insurance agencies, real estate firms, bankers, who are um, uh, valued in the community and they understand the importance of entrepreneurship and they have services like your company that, that caters to entrepreneurs. And so the members go there to really, it's an opportunity for people in the community that are interested in entrepreneurship and emerging companies and target them to really get the first look at the next generation of successful companies in our area. So that's why the people go. Now, the people that present, now, securing capital is important, but they don't all secure capital. And it, and it may be that, um, um, well, who knows what it may be for, but when they go there, not only do they get access to angel investors, but they also get access 
to lawyers, accountants, marketing firms, banks, insurance. And th those are all things that they need to be successful. Um, and then also, there's just the interaction. You know, people, the lunches are kind of from noon to 1.15, but people start showing up at 11.30, and they stay till a quarter to two. And over the 15 years I've been doing that, the, the number of stories that come back to me and say, hey, Tom, I don't know if I ever told you, but, you know, at your lunch, I met this person. I now work for the company. Um, they become one of my large clients, or just all these connections that were made that were, frankly, outside of capital formation. So one thing I, I just kind of wanted to, there's all sorts of different reasons why this is a benefit to the companies that present and to the people that attend these lunches. So, so, so setting expectations. Absolutely. That's super cool. Um, the, then the other thing, too, is um, if a company is, let's say they're raising a large amount of money, um, you know, the, the kind of the average, you know, um, size, you know, oftentimes angels invest maybe fifty or $100,000. Mm -hmm. um, so if a company is raising you know, maybe more than a, you know, more than a million dollars, we probably won't make a big dent in their financing. You know, if someone's raising a half a million to a million bucks, you know, we, 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 we can put that together and have done that through the Angel Alliance. Uh, if they're raising, you know, three, five, 10 million, you know, we, we can contribute to that, but they really need to have, um, they need to have access to other investors gotcha. to secure their full round. Gotcha. Interesting. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's all good information, uh, and that's kind of one of the reasons I put. And then I just one more. I'm not to yeah, interrupt. But I, no, I just, you didn't. I, this is really kind of important to highlight. Yeah. Um, and in and in, in, in my angel funds and the kind of spoken angel alliance is really targeted toward the earlier stage companies. Gotcha. You know, seed, maybe pre-seed, because um, that's where that, that's where there's a void in the market. That's where there's a need for my angel funds and the Spokane Angel Alliance. If a company gets further along and they're doing a series A and they built their team out, they've got a product on the market, they've got revenues, the world is frankly awash with capital. Mm -hmm. They don't need my funds, the Spokane Angel Alliance. They, so where the real need is at the early stage where it's still kind of, you know, unsure if it's gonna work or not, it sounds good. Um, um, and, and so that's really the kind of the void we try to fill and the value that we try to add. Gotcha. Okay, so... Now I won't interrupt anymore. Oh, no, please do. <laughs> I, I love it. It's good conversation. Okay, so let's say I have an idea and that void is filled with $50,000 and we can kind of let, test, A-B test, whatever, yep, figure yep. out how this is going to work. Well, um, so let's say that... Um, is, is this the platform to do a startup we can pitch? Or is that more of... So no, that's one, one thing I want to clarify. I said kind of the average angel investment is maybe 50 to 100 grand. That's, okay. that's per individual. Now, yeah. in aggregate, the company might raise 250, 500, a million, or, or upwards of that. Um, it might be a little unusual for a company just to raise just $50,000 early on, because in today's economy, I don't know how much you can really do with that. Um, I would say you know, probably the, the low end of a pre-seed funding might be a quarter of a million dollars gotcha. to kind of get started. Gotcha. Uh, now, if someone is just looking at a very, very early stage for just 50000 Sparks Weekend is absolutely the right place to go. And the right people will be there to see it. Yep. So I think, I think what I was trying to say is, like, I have an idea, and I want to get it to MVP. 
Mm -hmm. Your angel alliance is more like MVP has now happened and there's actually a prototype or, um, you know, I, I really, I really um, hesitate to gotcha. put firm boundaries. I'm involved in a company right now that I, I can't talk about. No worries. Um, but we are closing a $3 million financing this week. Very early stage. There's no MVP. But it's, it's a ter- tremendous idea um, and a team that has been there and done there in the vertical for which this company is focused on. There but you go. It's, and and uh, I've been very involved in helping that company secure the capital. It's gone through the Spokane Angel Alliance, and, um, and that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, a $3 million financing for a company that doesn't yet have an MVP. So, Awesome. For anyone listening, just to clarify, MVP means mostly viable product. It means it's an idea that hasn't happened yet. Um, and uh, to create an MVP, it's like projections on an idea. Yep. Think about it. So there you go. That's my job. Ask some <laughs> questions that no one else is brave enough to ask. Very good. Very good. <laughs> um, so you've been at the forefront of a lot of emerging businesses in Spokane. Can you think of a couple that are extremely memorable and maybe share their story in a brief way? Um, well, the, um, selfishly, and the one I was closest to is the company I started, Green Cupboards, which it. changed its name to Etails and now is Caspian. Uh, that story, um, I think, is just wonderful in many ways because... It was a student at Gonzaga. Yeah. And this is a kid that, you know, knew nothing about entrepreneurship. He was going to go into the family business until he took my class. And we met each other. And we kind of, you know, uh, formed a bond and went forward with it. Um, and so I, I think that, that story is close and near, near and dear to my heart. And one that was funded by Spokane Investors. Um, hired a lot of young people went through tremendous growth. Um, um, so that, that's, that's one I really like. You know, another one, um, this kind of dates back a number of years ago, but is um, Packet Engines and Worldwide Packets, founded by Bernard Danes, and I had the good fortune of being involved in both of those companies. And, you know, Bernard was a nationally or worldwide renowned individual in, in, in telecommunications and um, tenacious entrepreneur, great ideas, and both those companies had, you know, very successful exits. Um, you know, Spiceology has been really fun to work with oh, and, and to see the success of that company. Um, Gestalt, you know, um, spun out of Inland Imaging and Dan Work, what he's doing in digital pathology. Um, you know, Treasury 4 with Steve Helmbrecht. And there's, there's just, you know, they're, they're all special in their own way. Um, another one, you know, not necessarily an explosively growing company, but kind of coming back to talking about the, the boutique or the coffee shop, is kind of what uh, myself and John Pariseau and some other partners have done with the 518 building in downtown Spokane. Um, we bought that. It was just an empty building, and we invited in uh, Bobby Enslow and Indaba, and he's expanded that location. I, I know you've been there, yep. and it's just become, um, you know, kind of the hot spot for entrepreneurs, students, business leaders, other community leaders. Um, Ignite is based upstairs um, in Ignite Loft. We've got a number of startups in the company, in, in, the, in the building, and that building has just become this hub, this magnet. We have it right in downtown Spokane. So that's, that's something I'm really quite proud of, that we have something in here that reflects our entrepreneurial community. That's awesome. Well, good list. Yeah. Do you have, can you share in five minutes a, a little bit about green cupboards and like, 
I don't know if it, maybe that's a topic for another show. Yeah, that maybe you know, I've hit it on it a couple of times already. Maybe I that's know. a topic for another sh- uh, another show because um, let's uh, do it. If you're open, because I, I have all sorts of stories about that company. Okay, and and, and kind of my philosophy on how we started it. We're going to do it. We'll circle back. Okay, and we'll just do it another um, Tom Simpson episode. Okay, on, just on green covers. Okay, because it, it is a lot, and Caspian's awesome. Yep. And it has your stamp of all, all yep. over it. Um, anyone listening, you heard about Spiceology. Our first uh, episode on this, sh- on this podcast was with Pete Taylor. It was super fun. It was neat to hear his coming up story and then his connection with you and yep. kind of how everything motivated. Yep. And he was at the very first Parks Weekend. I think yep. it was the first one that he won, wasn't it? Um, yeah, he was at two of them, actually. Yeah. Um, he won the first one, and then the second one... I don't remember, how, but he had Heather by then. Yeah. Heather was already in the mix. Yep. And the second one was rad. I mean, that, that was the one we did at the McKinstry building. Okay. And um, his presentation was off the chain. It was yep. super cool. Yep. And it was kind of weird. This is why I like Sparks, and I can't wait to dive into this uh-huh. a little bit, but the Sparks weekend has got a little less boundaries, whereas in Startup Weekend, one of the prerequisites, you couldn't have a business that had already been functioning. Right. And there was kind of this... It hadn't functioned yet, and yep. they were testing the market, and they were ready to roll. Like, you could just feel the vibe. Yep. It was yep. so cool. Yep. Anyway, that was awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, small businesses. So if we'll just put it in your shoes. If you were to start a small business right now to, to get it going for your, one of your kids, yep. I'm just being hypothetical. Don't, what would it be? What What do you see as a profitable small business to just go get it? Well, I, I have two ideas okay. that um, um, have always been lingering in the back of my mind. And the first one resulted, um, we talked about Andy Barrett yep. before the show. And uh, Andy's a good friend of mine. And I kind of think of him as a Steve Jobs of Spokane. But how I met Andy, he and I were neighbors. And uh, just our kids were young and it was just so much fun. Both of our houses were open doors and our kids would go back and forth. But Andy um, would put up Christmas lights. And his Christmas lights, um, well, he, he, well, he put them up once. He never took them down. And I always used to tease Andy, go, hey, take your Christmas lights down. You're kind of, you know, devaluing the neighborhood. And it struck me, what if we had year-round lights on your house? Um, probably LEDs, not big bulbs, uh, very discreet around the trim of your house. Um, um, so really kind of to the, you know, visually you don't really see them during the day. Um, and they're programmable. And so it's not just for Christmas. You know, Valentine's Day, they're pink and red. Then comes um, St. Patty's Day, and they're green. And the 4th of July, you know, um, red, white, and blue. And then we have Halloween. Um, orange and black, and then if you have a football party with the Seahawks, it's kind of blue and green. So these are year-round lights that you can feature for whatever the holiday is or a theme of a party that you might have. Now, I've had this idea for a while. Then a few companies I see have, have tried to do it, but no one has really done it in a mainstream way that I've done it. So if I ever have additional time in my day, <laughs> I'm going to start a year-round Christmas light company. Love it. My second idea uh, is, and I don't have a name for that company yet. Um, the next company I'd probably call, it'd be called Nearby. And it would be an app on your phone. And the only problem with this idea, I haven't really figured out how to monetize it. But um, the idea kind of struck me one day when I was at a Starbucks in Sun Valley. 
and I was sitting there waiting for someone to have a meeting, and I could hear snippets of conversation around me, and I could tell there was a very successful venture capitalist from the Silicon Valley over here. Um, someone over here was a super successful entrepreneur that had grown a company, and I just was dying to know who are these people, and I wasn't going to go up and introduce myself, but I'm hearing all these conversations in, in, in Sun Valley at the Starbucks. And I thought, what if there was an app where I can put in all of my profile about who I am and where I'm at, and I can turn it on or turn it off um, when I so choose. So if I'm in the Starbucks and everyone else has it, I can turn it on and I can, and I can provide aspects about my background. I might say, hey, I'm a pilot, I'm an Iron Man, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a venture capitalist, and I probably, you know, maybe I, have it, maybe I can turn the picture on or off. So if you're, it's a way to see who else is around you um, when you're someplace. And um, one of my partners back in my head, my venture funds, was Kevin Barber, who's from Spokane. And Kevin and I used to travel quite a bit. And Kevin had just an amazing eye for spotting celebrities and other people. And I remember, like, within three days, he and I were in New York. Within three days, we saw Senator um, Sherman, uh, who, who's the, the um, Chuck Sherman? Uh, Sh Schumer? Schumer, Schumer, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, we were walking down the street. He walked right by us, and Kevin goes, hey, that's Senator Schumer. Schumer. Um, then we were in a hotel. Oh, hey, there's Jesse Jackson. Then we're at the airport. He goes, oh, there's RFK Jr., and these are all people that I wouldn't have recognized, but he saw them. So I'm just, it just is kind of struck with me that oftentimes in our daily lives, you know, that's, the celebrities are kind of an extreme example, but other people that might be just sitting next to you in a restaurant or an airplane or on the airplane with you that um, have interesting aspects that might um, um, jive with yours. So those are the two ideas I have. Uh, doubt any one of them are big money makers, but... Uh, um, I think anything, you asked the question, so I gave an answer. I love it. I love it. Well, anything. Can be if anybody listening wants to run with any of those and uh, be my partner on them and has passion for it, please reach out to me. Because I'm probably not going to do it on my own. <laughs> and that's how Green Covers got started. I just threw out the idea to Klaus one day and said, hey, I've always had an idea for a company that would sell environmentally friendly products online. And Josh raised his hand and said, yep, I'd love to help you with that. So what's your vision for the future? Like, if you care to share. If I, if my, if I, well, um, if I had an accurate crystal ball, yeah. um, 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 well, that would be very valuable. Um, <laughs> you know, all I really know about the future is it's going to change. Yeah. It's going to evolve and it's going to change and evolve at a faster pace, exponential growth. Um, and one of my favorite expressions is if you don't like change, you'll like irrelevancy even less. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, just in my lifetime, the changes that I've seen. So it's, it's, it's going to change, and it'll be volatile, and it'll be up or down. And, and really, the, um, I think the art is to adapt with the change. Don't resist it. And it also got to go, go, I mean, there's also, you know, change happens, but there's fits and starts, too. Sometimes things look like they're going to go one direction, and then they go the other direction. Totally. So, Knowing um, when to pivot. Just keep learning. Yeah. To keep learning, being, uh, um, uh, being open-minded to new ideas, and then kind of, you know, know when to pivot. Yeah, and um, I think an underlying theme that I've heard on the podcast so far is uh, perfection is the killer of prosperity or, or uh, progress. Perf it's almost like what we think other people are going to think about it. 
This is weird. Yep. But think about it. Would you want perfection? No. Perfection would be dull. I mean, yeah. if it's perfect, what do you aspire to? I, I mean, kind of the, the messiness and the adventure to improve and change and adapt is, is kind of the beauty. And something's perfect. I mean. I know it. Well, like kinetic, I started um, because I had to. I needed to feed my family. Yep. I never intended for it to grow into the marketing agency it is today. But when, when I go back and look, it's like I didn't, I never, I didn't have an expectation I just need to go out and find right. a way to make, make it yep. work. Yep. And then five, fast forward five years and things start getting real. And it, ooh, I need to start <laughs> figuring out what's going on here. And, it's, it, and every challenge from that point on, I can go back and look and like, why yep. was I trying so hard to make that just right when yep. it didn't need to be? Yep. And yep. now I live in a phase of the business yep. where it's like, who cares? We yep. need to get it done. Done work is I better. Think you, than, I mean, I, I, I'd prefer, rather than perfection, be differentiated. Make sure that what you're doing you is go. differentiated, and and you and you you kind of your your own brand, and you've differentiated yourself. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I think I think all the creative companies in Spokane have a little different flavor on how they do it for clients. Yep. If you take it for photography, everyone shoots their photos in a different way because they see it differently, and that's the art, right? Mm -hmm. And so your business is literally an art, and you've touched on that multiple times. Any anyone's business is simply an art of their imagination, and, yep. and they're going to have their own DNA. <laughs> I'm on repeat here, but <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, how it appeals to the other person or the buying the per, the uh, the customer or the client, um, it has to be a style that's presented. And I think that's even with plumbing. Yeah, it comes down to the bare necessities, right? We, right. You can choose to buy Kroger brand chocolate chip cookies, or you can buy Chips Ahoy. Yep. You know, I mean, it's a it's a choice, and you're appealing to that. Anyway, wow, I went off the rails. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Anyway, fun stuff. Um, so, it, um, if someone has a dream of starting a business as an investment or a passion, but has been wondering how to get started, how would you point them in the right direction? Just be curious and, and go out. If you've, got, if you've got an idea, but you're kind of unclear about um, how to start it or what direction to go, just start talking to people. And, and the, the best entrepreneurs I know, when they are um, making decisions or building plans or constructing a strategy, they just they talk to a lot of people and they ask a lot of questions. And... Uh, they're tenacious about it, and 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 by doing that, um, they they may not always take the advice that they get, but they hear a lot of perspectives and opinions, and then from that they come to their own conclusions. And one thing that's wonderful about um, our community is, you know, most of the people that you know have successful backgrounds. You know, if someone calls in a respective way and say, hey, uh, hey Doyle, I, I want to learn kind of more about how I market my company. Can I have a half hour of your time in Indaba? Nine times out of ten, people are going to say yes. I'd say yes in a heartbeat. Right. And, and, and so just uh, and it's not rocket science to say, okay, I've got this idea. Here's the areas I need help. Who in Spokane or maybe outside the area might be able to help me? Just call them. Yeah. And just that exercise of also picking up the phone, reaching mm -hmm. out to you, asking to meet will make you a better entrepreneur because you're, you're now in the process of selling yourself, telling your story. And so that's what I suggest to people. Totally. Love it. Now, I, obviously, you know, reading things too, you know, finding, you know, how-to yeah. books. But I know I learn better by 
talking to people and hearing stories and the personal interaction. Yeah, love it. And that's the backbone of my business. You know, um, when I, very early on, I was doing a lot of artwork and that's kind of how Kinetic started. I didn't even have a name to it. I didn't even know what social media was about. I just knew I was talking to people online and they were coming to art galleries to see my work. (laughs) And anyway, there was this really passionate couple from Reardon and they were doing art too. And we started collaborating and I found out they were on Twitter just crushing it. And he made this comment to, he was in there with his camera taking photos and he was writing a blog and sharing about it Mm -hmm. on Twitter. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And I didn't realize that was the connection at the time. No one knew what was going on back then. We're talking 2009, 10. Um, Anyway, to bring this full circle, he just made the comment when we were talking at the art gallery, just when you make it big, don't forget about us. Don't forget about the little guy. And so the beginning of this year, we're struggling to figure out how to promote Kinetic. And I'm like, you know what? Forget it. We're not going to promote Kinetic. We're going to help the little guy. The people Uh that could never afford our work, let's just do it. So it's almost like, retailoring that idea of we have a style or this is how we do it and then give it to them and they're not going to ever call us anyway but maybe their friends would right it's touch points yep makes sense yeah it's fun and we're really enjoying it some of the content we're putting out is like we would love to tell this to anyone in our boardroom and we never get the chance Uh uh-huh and it's helpful it's good uh I noticed on your profile on LinkedIn that you've served on a lot of boards and advisory boards. Um, is there a benefit for people getting involved with that kind of responsibility, and how do you do that? You know, typically boards are populated by people that have um, some value that they can bring to the company, some expertise, some knowledge. Um, um, and, and they enjoy doing it, and they have a background. Um, you know, as an active angel investor, you know, um, I'm often invited to be on boards. Um, I'm pretty selective about which ones I I sit on. I really want to make sure that I have chemistry with the founders. Um, I have some, you know, passion for what they're doing. I have some differentiation, uh, you know, sitting on a board is not for everybody. Um, uh, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, there's risk that comes with it, you know, success and failure. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but kind of. There, there might be two questions, and I, why, and why, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No. There, there's, I don't, there, there might be two questions here. One is, you know, why do you have a board? And then um, maybe go. the other, maybe the other question is, um, is there an opportunity for people to be on board to these companies? But let's being do on, it. Being on the board of an emerging company, a startup, one that is angel backed, one that is venture backed, is, is kind of is, is somewhat nuanced, um, and it, it takes a certain amount of experience and knowledge to do that. Um, Likely someone that has um, um, built a company before, they've been through the venture capital process, um, they've taken a company public, they've grown a company to a successful exit. Um, So it it does take some skill set or some this particular domain expertise that is really relevant to the company. Gotcha. So... um, why does a board exist? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to green cupboards. Um, a, a board is exi- exist to fill the voids that the founding team do not have. Gotcha. Um, 
there, there's, there's, there's a, at an early stage, obviously, there's, there's, the, there's the governance aspect and all of that. But I would frankly say that in an early stage of a company's formation, that is less important. The real important is having the team of people that complement your skill sets to enable you to be successful that perhaps you couldn't have done if you didn't have these people. So when I formed Green Cupboards, it was just Josh and me. But I knew uh, there's a lot of things I didn't know. So I put together a board, and I, and I invited three people to be on my board. First, I reached out to uh, Murray Huppen, because Murray oh, had yeah. uh, one call, and he was a very skilled, savvy retailer, had a, um, a successful online presence, and we were going to be an online company. So I wanted someone that had been there, done that. So I invited Murray to be on my board. I also knew that we would be building out systems and software and IT and all that, so I reached out to David Barbieri, who at the time was CIO of Red Lions. And then thirdly, I really kind of wanted someone to, who'd grown a business before, who was highly entrepreneurial, who I respected. So I reached out to Wayne Williams um, of Telect. So our, our board was Wayne, uh, Murray, and David. And I can tell you, with 100% confidence that the success of Green Cupboards would not have occurred had it not been from the involvement of those three individuals. Sweet. So that, that's why you build a board. Got it. Because you, you don't know everything. Right. Let's say an established business. And our, our board meetings were so fun. We didn't, you know, our board meetings um, were really fell into two categories. We would uh, talk about the challenges facing the business. What are the headwinds that we have and how can we mitigate them? Number two, we talked about the opportunities that the company had before it and how could we collectively rein those in and make them happen. It, the whole, all discussion was challenges and opportunities. And shouldn't it be? And, and not, not, not necessarily <laughs> reporting. We just assumed that the board had read the board packet, saw what we did last quarter, uh, we talked about, you know, the, why we were above or below plan. We were always above plan. Good. Um, and then, but really the real focus in the, in the value add was challenges and opportunities. I'm just thinking back to our startup weekend days. So that brings up Spark. <clears throat> yep. And I think Spark, matter of fact, um, <clears throat> I was invited to help out with the last one. And I had to politely decline because of challenges. I was, I mean, we were so busy at yep. the time. I couldn't do it. Um, and so I'm excited to get involved. And Good. I, I, I like that, start, that Spark Spokane is taking its own um, vision for opportunity. Mm -hmm. for lo Anyway, please explain. Well, Sparks Weekend, <laughs> um, it's a three-day uh, event. Um, it'll be uh, November 17th, 18th, and 19th this year, held at the new Catalyst Building. And it is, uh, um, it, it's open to anybody that wants to present an idea or anybody that may want to join a team. They might be a marketing person, they might be a developer, they might be an accounting person. So someone that either has an idea or wants to join a team. And it starts on Friday night, and on Friday night, uh, people line up and give their pitch, a one-minute pitch. Generally, we have, I don't know, somewhere between 30, 40, 50 people who give a one-minute pitch. At the conclusion of that, the audience, um, and including the participants, vote on the 10 best ideas. Those 10 winners are, are, or the best ideas are then paired up with mentors. And throughout the course of the weekend, they work on market research, build a minimally viable product, um, 
build out the sketches of a business plan, and it concludes on uh, Sunday night with a presentation to a panel of judges. And uh, the winner uh, is awarded up to $50,000 in investment capital, but it's Shark Tank-like in terms of it's subject to um, uh, successful completion of due diligence and negotiation of terms. So potentially, the winner could walk away with up to $50,000 to get their business launched. But throughout the weekend, uh, the individuals have the opportunity to work with well-known people here in Spokane, mentors, and help flush out their idea. And it's, a, and it's just a wonderful experience. And you, you, you asked me about some of the stories, and uh, um, you know, Spiceology came out of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just been a really wonderful experience, the people that we've met and the ideas that we've seen over the years. One that really kind of touches close, closely to me is Brooke Martin. Oh, yeah. Brooke was 14 years old. He came up with the idea for Icy Pooch. Um, interactive dog treat dispenser. Now, unfortunately, the company wasn't successful for perhaps a lot of reasons outside of her control, but she came up with the idea and she started a niche industry that continues. People copycatted what Brooke did. Yeah. And Brooke was just an amazing, talented young woman. And it's been really kind of inspiring for me to keep in touch with her over the years. Um, she went to Stanford, and now she's a venture capitalist with a fund in Silicon Valley. And I recently had her do one of my programs called Meet the Investor, where I bring in investors from outside the community to talk about the types of things that they're looking for. And Brooke did that, and it was just so fun to see wow. her come full circle. And it was touching to me because she said, hey, Tom, you're the one who really inspired me to kind of go down this path. Um, so really, this, uh, it's a great experience. It's a great learning experience. People meet, meet people. Uh, they gain insight. And there's just so many benefits to uh, Sparks Weekend. Yeah. Um, so she was at Startup Weekend, which is the same thing, essentially. Um, and her dad was there. Same but different. Same but different. We, we've, we've, we've changed the... We've, 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 uh, particularly with adding the $50,000 yeah. investment award. But um, Yeah. Uh, she had an eighth grade um, project. And yeah. that's what she brought to Startup Weekend. Yep. Super cool. Okay, you brought up Shark Tank. And I did have this burning question I wanted to ask you. I love watching Shark Tank yep. on YouTube. I don't like watching it on any way else. Because yep. I like it the way it's served on YouTube in pieces. But there's influencers. You know, you've got, you've got business people on, on YouTube telling yep. you how to get it done, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any value to that? I mean, it does It does kind of motivate people. It's like, ooh, I never thought of going that direction. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? I, I think the real value of appearing on Shark Tank is the national recognition you get from your product. Yeah. And um, I've had a number of companies. You know, I see Brooke Martin from IC Pooch was on Shark Tank. Yep. Um, uh, Tim Cube. from Square Cag was on Shark Tank. Uh, Pete Taylor was on Shark Tank. There's another company who right now is escaping my mind from Spokane that was on Shark Tank. Uh, one in Coeur d'Alene. Um, so a number of companies I've been involved with have been on or have thought about going on. But I think uh, ideally you want to go on just to get recognition for your product. Um, that's, the, that's the real value. Frankly, a lot of the deals that are done on Shark Tank never get funded. Yeah. Um, and and it's, 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 it's reality TV. I will tell you that um, if I acted the way the sharks do and their interaction with the companies 
after about six months, nobody would call me or come to my office. Because, yeah. um, you, know, you know, frankly, I'm turning down for investment most of the companies that come to me. That's gotcha. just the odds of any yeah. VC firm. But if I just say no, Doyle, um, and I do it in a rude way or in a cocky way or in an arrogant way, um, you're never going to come back to me. And right. you're going to tell your friends, hey, don't go talk to Tom. But if you come to me with your idea and I say, hey, Doyle, you know, it, it's, I think it has a lot of merit. Um, um, why don't we talk about pivoting or doing this or I can introduce you to this person. And so you walk away and say, hey, you know what? I didn't really get Tom's attention right now, but he, you know, he gave me some value out of advice. And kind of going back to Brooke Martin, um, oh, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but she, <laughs> the Sharks, um, the, the Sharks, um, she reported back that the, um, some of the comments that made, the Sharks made to her that perhaps didn't make the air um, weren't necessarily value added. Gotcha. <clears throat> More TV added. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, it, they, these are, you know, these are, it's theater, it's yeah. entertainment. Yeah. And so if they can say things that are kind of edgy or that sells gotcha. advertisements. Yeah. And it just isn't necessarily value added to the entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah, and I wouldn't take, I don't take anything I learn on the internet is gospel or like this is really? the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just who I am. It's my generation. <laughs> skeptical, I'm huh? Skeptical, yeah. But it does form a style. Yep. Like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that. And then if it actually works, I'll go, I mean, I wouldn't have a podcast if the internet didn't. Yep. Yep. If, if the advice of the internet didn't tell me it was a good idea. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, no one said, just, you should start a podcast. Right. There was a lot of people that were validating it's a good idea to do one. And then it's like, well, how can I do this so I'm giving back to the community? Yep. So anyway, here we are. But um, so um, Spark Spokane, I'm going to make sure that um, behind the scene is all over sharing that so that our okay, listeners good. can get a get a shot at yep. going there. And I will say... That would be, that'd be a great one to invite Connor on because, you know, uh, Connor has been involved in... Uh, he, he's, he's one of the organizers of... Uh, he presented a couple of times in one. So he, he's seen yes. Shark Tank from all, he's seen Sparks Weekend from all sorts of different angles. Agreed. I'll, I'm going to make that, it. Good. I'm going to see if we can make that happen. Um, if you don't have an idea, but you want to be a part of the next big yep. idea, you got to show up there. Even if you just witness it, yep. it's infectious. You know what? The really fun thing too is, uh, you know, many people kind of um, pre-plan to present an idea, but like a last year's Shark Tank, uh, <laughs> Sparks Weekend, I keep getting them confused. At last year's Sparks Weekend, you know, we had a line of maybe 40 people who gave, and then at the end, I said, hey, is there anybody else that just watching this is inspired? We probably had five more people just kind of crawl out of the audience and go up there and give a pitch. Yep. I, I love that. Yep. And what a perfect 59-second um, pitch is epic, but just doing it is better than not trying yeah. at all. Yep. Got to step up to the batting yep. cage. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Um, what would you tell a future business owner thinking of starting up in the Inland Northwest? It could be anything. It could be nothing. I, I guess what I, I would tell them, I would first, I don't know if I'd tell them, but I'm <laughs> asking them why they're doing it. Why? I mean, one of the first questions when, when someone comes to me with an idea, I go, hey, tell me about your background. Why, why are you doing this? What what, what, what's, what's behind you building this company? Because that's super important. Um, and you have to be doing it for the right reasons. You've got you've to just be super excited and have a ton of passion for it. Um, if you're not doing it for just the love of what it is, um, I worry because you're going to have 
you're gonna have dark days when things don't work out. And unless you are prepared, unless you're just your DNA is, you're so excited about this, you're gonna live through the dark days. Um, and I, I and I try to assess that out of people. But I, I've I've had examples where I've funded companies, and maybe a year or two into it, the entrepreneur or founder will say, I, you know, I'm I'm just tired. This isn't quite what I thought it was, um, and I need to move on. And that that's happened, you know, a yeah. handful of times to me. Um, so it's really really important to know why they're going into it. And do they have the ability to weather the dark days? Um, There'll be lots. Particularly of them. right, particularly right now, you know, well, not right now, but for a while, it's been it's it's hip and cool to be an entrepreneur. Hey, I'm doing this, and if you're doing it just to be an entrepreneur, or you're doing it just for a job, that's not sufficient. So I, I would, I, I, again, I wouldn't tell people, but I would inquire the rationale behind why they're doing what they want to do. Uh, answering the why is really important, yeah. 100%. Yep. That, honestly, that should be at the top of a business yep. plan. Yep. Here's why. Yep. <laughs> Good point. What would you say to encourage a business owner that's established in our community to inspire them to just keep going? To inspire them to keep going. Well, you know, I, you know um, if they need me to inspire them, that would be a question mark. Um, uh, I just got done reading the book Shoe Dog, all about Phil Knight, and you know he 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 was self-inspired. Now, and it's just a great book, um, and he had a lot of ups and downs, and so it's not the inspiration that someone needs. What they really need is comfort um, when things aren't going well. You know, someone yeah. that someone that they can talk to. Yeah, and really, you know, a lot of what I do is. Is, is people call me up and, and, you know, of course they call me up and say, hey, I just had this customer win or good news yesterday. That's easy to take. But I have a lot of people who just call me up and say, you know, this th things aren't working out. And I, I, I need guidance and input about what I should do. What should I? And, and that's, so it's not inspiration. It's so, and, and, and there's not, um, in many cases, these founders, um, it's kind of a lonely place in many cases. Yeah. Um, they might have a co-founder, um, but they oftentimes need someone who they can just kind of share what's going through their mind and what's going on. So yeah. that's so that's that, that's that's kind of uh, that's where um, um, the inspiration may come from. Is in when things aren't going well, how do I mitigate that challenge? I'm part of a CEO group in the next while here, and that was a theme we met last night, and that was a common theme that it's a lonely place yeah even when there's success right like yep. um you're kind of off in your corner and you don't yep. have anyone to talk to which is kind of true i mean i don't feel that way so much because yep. i'm not scared to talk to like-minded thinkers yep it's kind of weird like you feel like you're competing against them or they're competing against you when you're sharing knowledge yeah like i said everyone has a different style yeah and I, don't, I like anyway we could go we got to do this another again. topic another, another topic. topic yep yeah. love it um, the, the business scene in the Inland Northwest is gaining momentum every year. What are some trends you see that are coming up currently? Anything I don't know that, if they're trends. I mean, the one, one observation I have made is that, uh, frankly, the pandemic was good for Spokane yeah. because it brought in so much talent into this community um, when people were able to work remote. You know, the, the many, so many people, you know, came from Seattle, came from the Bay Area, came from other places and moved to Spokane. 
Um, you know, one great example is Devin Miller. Uh, Devin uh, recently moved to Spokane. Um, he's the founder of a company called Secure Save that he found, co-founded with Susie Orman, well-funded company out of Seattle. Uh, got tired of Seattle, moved to Spokane. And there's so many people like that. And so that, that's been very positive. And on the flip side, a number of companies that were otherwise struggling to hire people um, now, again, with the acceptance of remote work, have been able to fill positions from people that may not live in Spokane. They live in other places. So we've, we've really kind of onboarded a lot of incredible talent here in yeah. Spokane, a lot of people working for large tech companies and others that have moved to Spokane and getting involved in our entrepreneurial community as mentors, board members, angel investors, Got and it. consultants, and all of that. So. And I agree. That's, it is pretty cool. One thing that we never really touched on in any of our episodes is the, the opportunity for a startup to come here. Let's say they've been in a startup for a while, and yep. their product is out in the market, and they're growing but now they need a, new, a, a manufacturing facility, et cetera. Yep. There are some amazing opportunities around here, not only to bring your employ, but employees to a place where they actually want to be instead of Silicon Valley or mm-hmm. something like that. And we've got energy. Yep. We've got the rivers producing yep. power. Yep. Solar's yep. coming on board. Yep. Um, we got four seasons for your employees to yep. enjoy. Yep. And the barrier of entry is very low. Yep. It's not expensive to get involved yep. in our community. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Bingo. Bam. <laughs> it, it's a uh, relocating or moving to Spokane is a value added differentiation to your company. Yeah. Um, don't. Oftentimes, Spokane has marketed itself as, "Hey, move to Spokane. We're a cheap place to live." And as a result, back in the day, we recruited all these call centers that yep. were counting yep. pencils at night. But if you flip the equation around and say, hey, relocate, move, expand in Spokane, whatever term you want to use, but do it as a competitive advantage when you're recruiting really highly skilled employees and say, you know what? One thing I have that Brand X doesn't have is yep. you can be in Spokane with all the things that you just mentioned. And so it's a point of differentiation. It's a value add why you're here. And then, oh, oh, by the way, we're also affordable. Yeah. So That's conclude it. with that. Don't lead with that. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's not a cheap place to go. It's the most value. It's the most value. I love it. Then, 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 then instead of uh, recruiting call centers that have tiny margins, you're recruiting companies that have 80% gross margins. And really, they're just trying to figure out how they can compete for the best talent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and retention. Yep. Big time. All right, this is my favorite part of the show. Uh-oh. <laughs> We get really is this when you tell me to leave? <laughs> no, this is this is where you can choose to leave because okay. we're going to get personal. <laughs> so that we're we're finding common themes with our guests uh, about what they like most about Spokane and our yep. region. It can include Coeur d'Alene, Sandpoint, whatever yep. in the Northwest. Yep. That's what our podcast is based in. So, what do you love most about Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, the Inland Northwest? Name it. You know, uh, well, my grandmother always told me, um, "Blossom where you were planted." And I grew up in Spokane. So I, I think what I, I mean, all the things that you just mentioned, the four seasons, the lakes, the mountains and all that, I love it. Uh, but what I really enjoy, I grew up with a lot of these people here and I know them, I work with them, I see them, I, I run into you various places. And what I love is kind of just, you know, walking through downtown, going to the bank, going to get coffee, going to the laundromat, going to dinner, whatever. I, I just run into people that I know and I like. And that, cool. that, that just, that makes for... Um, a grateful day. Love it. That's awesome. Where's your favorite place to eat in the region? You know, uh, I love Luna. 
I live on the South Hill. The bar there at Luna to me is kind of just like a cheers bar. You walk in there and you're undoubtedly going to, again, see a bunch of the people that you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's a highly differentiated restaurant. Great customer service. You talked about that earlier. Um, so that's my... Yeah. They're doing a great job there. Good deal. Favorite coffee shop? Well, that's an obvious one. Is it? And Daba. Come on. <laughs> Bobby Enslow has just done a great job. Love and Daba. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I just love the vibe of, uh, again, the shop that they have in the 518, 518 building. Yeah. And if you haven't been there yet, to our listeners, go check it out and then wander up to the loft and see what's going on. Yep. The, the Ignite loft is pretty cool. And it's, gonna, and it's in the process of being remodeled. So Sweet. come September, it's going to be reformatted with a whole new furniture package. So Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. I think the last time I was up there, it was kind of like a cool spot for solopreneurs to come up and yep. get busy. Cool. Love it. Favorite activity um, overall in Spokane Coeur d'Alene, and I think you got a few. Well, historically, I've done a number of triathlons and Ironmans and those sort of things. Um, uh, I'm also a pilot, although I just sold my plane. Um, I have, and then my wife's a yoga instructor, so I do a lot of yoga. But the thing um, I'm almost embarrassed to admit, for most of my career, I would tell people, not only do I not like golf, I frankly don't even really like people who really play a lot of golf. <laughs> I am now a golfer. Wow, I started golfing three years ago, and I'm eating my words because I'm really enjoying it. Good deal. Um, but I, I feel like golf is um, its kind of incidental to the activity. It's a little, little bit like a baseball game. You go to a baseball game, and all the crazy things they do, the songs and everything – the baseball is incidental. Golf is kind of incidental to golf in my mind because I'll never be a good one. You go out there with friends. I walk, so you get a six-mile walk in. The surroundings are all beautiful. Again, it's a social setting, and so that's why I, I, I like golf. But we talked about perfection earlier. I view golf as the pursuit of perfection, which doesn't exist, so I don't really care about my score. <laughs> It, it, and as I heard um, many people say their their best business deals were done on the golf course. Does that have any validity? I, uh, Not for you. <laughs> I should have played more golf. <laughs> well, I'm making up for lost time now. <laughs> well, um, thank you. I think this is really exciting, and I learned a lot. I think our listeners learned a lot. Um, one thing we like to finish the show with is a couple books, maybe okay. one book that's inspired you in the last while to be who you are today. Well, again, I, I love stories about entrepreneurs. So I mentioned Shoe Dog, yep. great book. Um, you know, uh, Howard Schultz's earlier books, uh, Pour Your Heart Into It. Um, I loved Wayne Huizinga's book, uh, Making of a Blockbuster. Um, so th those are some of the books really about people and businesses that they built. Uh, Reed Hastings came out with a book recently. He's the guy behind Netflix called No Rules Rules. Um, so th those are the books that I, I really, really enjoy. Like hearing the stories of people that have built successful companies. Mark Benioff, what's his book called? Um, forgetting the name of his book. But th th those are the books I like. Another great book, I think, for uh, people that uh, are thinking about forming an explosively growing company is Zero to One by mm -hmm. Peter Thiel. And, you know, Peter, um, you know, early guy at um, PayPal, first investor in Facebook, um, now behind Palantir and other companies. Uh, it's a real quick read, probably takes you a couple hours to read, um, but really um, talks about um, the things to consider 
when you're building an explosively growing company. Love it. Um, new question that's going to come up. Um, what's your reading style? Do you like Audible? Do you like to read it physically, hold the book? What's your jam? You know, I'm super old school. I still keep a paper calendar. I call people rather than email. So I, 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 I read books. I nice. turn the pages. Nice. Cool. How can people find you? So they've listened this far. Like I'm pretty easy to find. If you just Google Tom Simpson Spokane, you know, phone numbers, pictures, email come up. So easy it's, to find. It's true. It popped up on my um, when I Googled you. And so I did an incognito just for fun. Yeah. Your LinkedIn's first thing shows up. Yep. So it'll be cool. I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, guys, thanks for making it this far and listening to the whole episode. We really appreciate it. And I hope you got some value out of this. That's what we're here to do, is bring value to you. So if you happen to have um, any topics you want us to go over, interviews, maybe guests, questions we can answer, send us an email. We have the connections. All you have to do is hit us up at podcast at btsnw.com. If you're interested in sharing your business story, visit our website, reach out to us, and check us out on social media and all the places. Thanks for being here, Tom. Thanks, Doyle. Love it. Appreciate right. all you're doing for Spokane. Uh, thank you. And likewise to you.